Welcome to the Science Witch Podcast, where we explore how science and witchcraft intersect, interact, and affirm one another. I'm your co-host, Angel. And I'm your co-host, Ruby, and this is our 54th episode. Today, Angel talked with Shane, a licensed therapist and military chaplain with the Sacred Well Congregation for this year's Veterans Day episode. Yeah, after interviewing my friend and service member, John Paul, for the last year's Veterans Day episode, it happened to work out well that I met Shane during a tarot reading gig I was doing down in Brownsville, so shout out to Hex, the witchy shop down in Brownsville. This conversation ended up being a perfect follow-up for our Samhain episode, as well as continuing this theme of how trauma echoes through human relationships, as well as how to hold space and integrate this trauma in a way that can facilitate healing even from the most adverse experiences humans have through combat and war. Absolutely. And to kind of tie that into some current events that Mm -hmm. some of us may be aware of, uh, there's just the ever-ongoing and changing situation in the Middle East, particularly in Gaza and the West Bank. We are recording this on November 10th, this intro and outro. According to Al Jazeera, an English-language news network funded by the Qatari government, some of the latest news coming out of the area are showing that Israeli tanks are currently surrounding several hospitals in Gaza, and Israeli missiles have killed 50 people in a school that was sheltering internally displaced people. And as of right now, it's estimated that at least 11,078 Palestinians have been killed by Israeli attacks on Gaza since October 7th. In Israel, the death toll stands at more than 1,200 at the moment. Yeah, and while many of us have had to witness just very difficult and challenging information coming out of Gaza that are showing just brutal genocidal attacks on the Palestinians that are not affiliated with Hamas. And one way that you can help out the situation in Gaza is by calling your representatives and telling them that you're an undecided voter and the deciding factor for you in the upcoming elections is to support an immediate ceasefire and that humanitarian aid to be released and allowed to be distributed in the area. Tell them that you will not vote for anyone who supports apartheid or genocide on the matter of principle, even if that is Joe Biden. Another way you can show support is simply by watching videos by Palestinian creators reacting, commenting, sharing. A lot of them on TikTok have created filters that act as fundraisers that go directly to humanitarian aid. And if you have the financial means, support Palestinian artists, musicians, crafters, of course, if you have the means to. I'm I'm, I'm not saying you have to do this. Right, yeah. And bringing this back to our topic for today, as we continue to develop these ideas around trauma-informed witchcraft and therapy, I'm always reminded of the people that I love who have served in the military and carry some of the most profound emotional scars from these experiences of war and conflict. And that when we engage in trauma-informed resolutions that integrate the experiences in a way that honors the truth of what occurred, we can foster healing within our communities. 
And I just want to give a shout out to some of the veterans out there that are part of our community, including my friends that uh, support our podcast and our Patreon supporters, Travis and Jared. So I'm dedicating this episode to y'all as this is a time for honoring those who have served, but also acknowledging the great cost of that service on the lives of the people who are veterans. Thank you. Thank you for your service, Travis and Jared. I am a first generation non-military member. I've, I've had family fight in World War II as well as other families stationed at the 38th parallel in Korea. And I have family that currently works somewhere along the military industrial complex. And if there's one thing that I've noticed that they need more than anything else, it's compassion for the decisions that they've made. You know, I for one don't support violence in any form, but I do commend those who decide to offer their service. And that compassion includes giving our veterans room to grieve, heal if they can, and live the rest of their lives with dignity alongside us civilians. Yeah, and we have a lot more language and tools for understanding PTSD, and Shane talks a lot about that in this interview. We also talk about some of the ideas we discussed in the Samhain episode in regards to the paranormal and trauma, and Shane brings his unique and compassionate approach to holding space for both the living and the dead, which gave me chills when he was talking about it. It is also quite an honor to have him on the show as he's part of this historic movement called the Pentacle Quest, which in 2007 gave service members the right to have pagan-affiliated symbols on their veterans' tombstones and ushered in a new era of religious acceptance of Wicca and heathenism for U.S. military service people. I, and once again, thank you. Thank you, Shane Nelson, for your involvement in that, and thank you to all United States veterans for your service. And so, without further ado, here is our Veterans Day special episode with Shane Nelson. All right. Well, thank you so much for tuning in again. Today we have an episode in honor of Veterans Day. And with me, I have Shane, who I got to meet rather uh, serendipitously on a lovely day in Brownsville, Oregon, when I was reading tarot. And we talked about having you come on the show, and so I thought this would be a perfect opportunity to talk to you about your work and your practice. So to start out with, I thought you could introduce yourself to our listeners and talk about why I'm having you come on as a guest for this special Veterans Day episode. Uh, Well, thank you for having me. My name's Shane Nelson, and spiritually, I identify as nature-centered. More specifically, I am trained and ordained in Greencraft Wicca in Asatru, and I'm working through the Obad Druidry training program currently. All of that lets me serve more effectively as executive director and the director of military affairs for Sacred Wall Congregation. In addition to that, I am a licensed professional counselor working with trauma and addiction and a military veteran. Yeah. And so 
Can you talk a little bit about the particular organization that you're involved and ordained with? Yeah, so Sacred Well Congregation is my or primary ordaining body. They have been around since the mid-1990s. I think their official date is the summer solstice of 1994 mm. for consecration as a 501c3 church. So they have all of the legal backing and support to provide military services. And currently we have 19 with two pending between the U.S. and overseas. Awesome. And I know there are several notable folks who are involved with the Sacred Well. David Orndorf is the founder. And with him is Argisha, which is the founder of Greencraft. And there are a few different organizations that are names. Notable members would be Dr. Orndorf who is the chair of the pastoral counseling and chaplaincy department at Cherry Hill Seminary. Myself as the primary professor, Dr. Pamela Ann or Hancock, who is the chaplaincy director for Star King School for the Ministry, and Holly Emore, who is the executive director for Cherry Hill Seminary. And then Judy Hara was also a member, and she was on the mental health board for spiritual care back in the 80s and 90s and she is currently the named patron of the library for cherry hill seminary after her passing about 10 years ago hmm. okay so yeah this organization has been around for quite some time i believe even before it predates when the military recognized Wicca as an official religion. So I, I wanted to circle back to you and your specific journey towards this path and how it intersects with your military career. So the simple answer is trauma. Mm hmm which is a pretty unifying theme among veterans. Well, and trauma before military service. Mm -hmm. So I grew up essentially in foster care. Mm -hmm. And one of the early exposures to spirituality I had was a neighbor for my first family who was First Nations. Mm -hmm. And he would babysit me and we would walk around the trails behind his house along the river. And he would teach me about the Mother Earth, Father Sky, and the land spirits. And as I moved foster families, I would get very Protestant families that liked attending church regularly. Mm -hmm. And it never sat well with me. Because I didn't understand how there could be a father god and not a mother goddess after that early exposure to the binary of divine feminine and divine masculine. At the same time, when I ended up in foster care, I wanted somebody to protect me. Mm. And I was exposed to the movie Green Berets with John Wayne. And I wanted somebody to protect me the way he protected the people in that movie. So the two 
started very early on directing me in a singular direction. Mm -hmm. So by the time I graduated high school, I joined the army and was still exploring various nature-centered traditions. And then while I was on active duty, came across Dr. Orendorf in Sacred Wall Congregation, who kind of took me under their wing and put me in charge of Fort Hood Open Circle in, I believe, 2006, mm -hmm. which was one of the earliest open circles on military bases. Mm -hmm. And I've been working with them in various capacities ever since. So last year for our Veterans Day episode, we had one of my personal friends, John Paul, who's a um, army recruiter and also very involved in the Temple of Witchcraft. And I was talking to him about how the military treats pagans now that it's officially established as a religious faith tradition and that military has to honor it. And he says that in his experience, there's definitely a lot more that could be done, but he feels that at least there is the representation in the military does seem to honor the fact that this is a religious tradition. In your experience, how do you feel? Do you agree with that? Or do you, do you have notes? Yes, and. Okay. The current generation has come a long ways from where I was 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. When I joined the Army in 2000, I was required to put other as my religious denomination. Uh, Wicca and other nature Center spiritualities were not authorized on the dog tags or on the enlisted records brief. When I deployed to Iraq the first time in 2003, I had a unit chaplain who was an officer, so he outranked me, who would abuse his power and position to evangelize. Oof. And he did that for eight months in combat. That pissed me off to say the least. Mm -hmm. So when we got back, I started exploring what it would take to be a military chaplain. And this was before they were posting websites. So I was calling the chaplain recruiters. They would find out I was pagan and hang up on me. Oh. They wouldn't even give me information. And eventually I found my way to Dr. Orendorf and Sacred Wall Congregation. He had a couple of inroads, was able to get some information for me and start helping me figure out what the path looked like to do that. And while I was running Fort Hood Open Circle and gaining some experience, we had the first victory, which was the Pinnacle Quest, being able to put Pinnacles and the Awen and Thor's hammer on VA related gravestones okay. is Selena Fox. Selena Fox, okay. And I worked with her a fair amount during that time too. So they started helping me work in that direction. And it wasn't until 2007, before my third deployment, that I was finally allowed to put Wiccan on my dog tags and on my enlisted records brief. So we had a lot of active protests outside of the gates where we had military services and various other active and explicit religious discrimination 
prior to my medical discharge in 2010. So the current generation has come a long way. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them were not around when we still had that level of discrimination going on. Yeah. So from your work now, do you see that it is a much more accepting place to be pagan in the military now? Accepting no, tolerated yes. Okay. Yeah. Probably two or three times a month, I have various sponsoring chaplains and garrison chaplains reaching out to me and consulting on how to support pagan service members. Mm -hmm. That would have been unheard of five years ago. They were willing to do the sponsorship for services, but that was more like a bullet point on their officer's brief than it was a serious duty for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's definitely been some shifts. Yeah. And as far as your work as a chaplain today, like what, what does that entail? So with that, part of the understanding is to the best of the information I've gotten through the Association of Professional Chaplains, which is the primary certifying body, I am the only pagan to make it through certification. Mm -hmm. So when I work for the local hospital where I'm at, I'm seeing everybody, the spiritual, not religious, the Catholic nuns, the Protestant patients and family members, the staff, the occasional pagan patient and everywhere in between. So it becomes less about me being a pagan chaplain and more about me being a chaplain who identifies as pagan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So with that, I, I wanted to ask how, at least with my sort of path into paganism, there's a lot of people call us like hippies and tree, tree lovers and everything. And we tend to be more on the peaceful side. I know heathenry has a lot more built in to encourage and also support people who are in the military and have this warrior philosophy. But as far as like Wicca goes, now that's a lot of the founders of Wicca were definitely in the military intelligence and both Doreen Valiente and Gardner were both in the British military. But my understanding of traditional Wicca is there isn't a lot of discussion of that warrior philosophy into it. So in your particular practice, how do you reconcile the sort of military background you have with some of the philosophies of in ye harm none and that is passed through Wicca. Personally, I think in ye harm none, yeah. especially from a psychological perspective, because inevitably you're going to harm somebody with some choice you make, whether that is somebody else or yourself. So then it becomes any harm the least. Yeah. So with that, if 
I am doing my best to be kind, it might still cause a little bit of pain, but it's better than being nice and causing a lot of pain later. Similarly, as an infantryman, if I am specific about a shot I take, that might save five, 10, or 100 for the cost of one. That's where I tend to reconcile it. Mm -hmm. So it's more of a calculation on your part in terms of where the harm reduction can be most effective. Yeah. And um, so do you find that there is that there's synergy in the military background you have and the witchcraft that you practice? Yes, and mm -hmm. I feel like I say that no, a lot. No, that's good. Please expand. <laughs> so the military side of things taught me discipline. Mm. It taught me crawling and then walking and then running for building up skills. It taught me the importance of repetition to build experience. And it also required me to be comfortable enough with my practice that I could perform that practice without any tools. Mm -hmm. It's not like I could carry a full ritual kit with me when I was rock marching out to an observation post 12 hours away where you couldn't get a vehicle to. You carried whatever you could fit in your pack, which meant a lot of me using my finger and drawing in the sand. Mm, mm, mm -hmm. Maybe having a vial of anointing oil or something like that, but it was very limited. And that conditioned me to be able to engage with my practice in a way that isn't bound mm by the lack of tools. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I guess it also in some ways helped you survive, would you say, or helped you cope with some of the things that you faced? Or would that be accurate to say? Did witchcraft like help you in some ways survive the circumstances that you were in? Not so much. Okay. It helped me reconcile after. Mm-hmm. So when I went into basic training, our senior drill instructor told us how many seconds we were expected to live in combat. Not minutes, not hours, but seconds. Mm -hmm. So when that second hand clicked past that mark on my watch, the first time I stepped into the combat theater, everything after that was bonus. Mm. I'm going on... 23 years of bonus but that meant going into some really difficult and really dark places and it wasn't until I got out and I went and saw my own counselor for years to heal and then I went to counseling school and spent more time healing because I had to dig even deeper and then I went to chaplaincy school and had to look at all of that from a spiritual perspective that I started developing tools around my own practice that would allow me to reintegrate those broken parts mm. and to heal those wounds that were so deep, the only language around them 
currently was Protestant hmm. and it didn't serve. Yeah. And do you feel like the witchcraft that you practice now has helped give you more tools in that journey towards healing? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. One of the tools that I use the most often, well, there are four different aspects to it. When I feel part of myself coming up from the past, I work through a guided visualization Mm. in my ritual space to meet that part at that age it is and reconcile with it and let it know that we survive and give it Mm. the compassion and support it wanted. When I'm confused on how to move forward, I do the same visualization, but I walk the other direction on the path to talk to my inner elder, Mm. which I like to refer to as a sarcastic Gandalf. When I'm dealing with things that society says are inappropriate to put out on display, I have those similar conversations with my inner shadow. Mm. And when the three are arguing, I bring them all together to a round table and we go through collaborative problem solving to integrate and find a way to address whatever is going on in a way that answers all of their concerns. Mm-hmm. That is probably the most powerful magic I can think of. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's that inner child healing and then your inner elder. I like that. That's that's sort of a new turn of phrase that. I had not heard of before. I definitely have heard of inner child healing and it's to come out of a Sufi practice. Oh, okay. Can you elaborate a little bit? I was exposed to Sufism mm-hmm. or Islamic mysticism while I was in seminary. And one of the practices they had was communing with the inner elder. Oh. But because I had to translate and repurpose everything into a pagan perspective, because I wasn't going to a pagan seminary, that meant making a lot of these practices my own. So that was the first one. And then I layered it with counseling to figure out how to go back to the inner child. And then I layered it with counseling again, specifically internal family systems to look at the shadow aspect. Right. One of the themes that has been coming through with a lot of the interviews lately is this idea of trauma and how to integrate it in a way that doesn't create these cycles of generational abuse and and trauma and how to break it both within ourselves and then our lineage. And as a counselor, I know you work with a lot of people that have seen some of the most intense trauma that a human being can experience. And I thought with respect to the privacy of all of your patients, but just how has your witchcraft helped you really hold space for that and be the healer for these people that have experienced just some of the most adverse situations human beings could experience? There's really a few different aspects. So I bring in the inner child and the inner elder and the inner shadow as guided visualizations. And I don't call them witchcraft because not everybody's accepting of going that way when you bring it up. Mm -hmm. But I'll use those. I also 
go through my own grounding and centering between every client. And depending on the client that I'm working with, I make sure that I'm engaging in a glamour. So Mm -hmm. I'm putting on the mask that they need to see for me to be present with them. Mm -hmm. That lets me meet them in a way that is safe and stable and healing. And most of the time, the work I do looks a lot like coffee talk. Where if you came into a session, you would think I was joking with a buddy. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to do that for two or three years. Because that's going to challenge broken attachment systems Mm. and repair those over time. So it's going to treat that complex trauma from childhood. It's also going to validate and let them know that they're not alone. And then when specific symptoms come up, like nightmares or intrusive thoughts, then we're using something like flash technique, which for all intents and purposes is magic. Hmm. I ask you to bring up your strongest positive memory and then tell me about it while you're doing bilateral stimulation. And about three rounds of that, I mean, it's a very specific three rounds, but within three rounds, you have virtually no intrusive thoughts or memories. I might have to do it a second or a third time to stack it and build it. So if we do three, one session, we might do three, another session, three, another session. I haven't had anybody go over four sessions needing that so that they no longer meet criteria for post-traumatic stress. Then I'll pair it with something like trauma release exercises to work all of that stress and anxiety and trauma out of the body. So like somatic? It leans into the somatic, but Mm -hmm. from a yoga perspective. Mm -hmm. So in Portland, there is a group called Yoga Calm. Mm. And it's, they're trained by Dr. Rosselli to teach people trauma release exercises, which engages a specific part of your muscular and nervous system to release all of that somatic tension. So I'll pair those two. And after probably four or five weeks of doing these various things, then we'll look at purpose and direction. What was it that you wanted to do before you experienced this? How does that sit with you now? What do you want to create? And we'll find a way to bring purpose back into the narrative of the person I'm sitting with. Mm, mm, That is really fascinating because one of the things that we've been talking about and this is actually going to be coming out in our Samhain episode is how and I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on this that the paranormal is in a lot of ways an outgrowth of trauma and one of the most haunted places in the United States is Gettysburg right which is the site of a huge battle one of the conversations I've been having with some of the other guests on the show, like Jay Allen Cross, is understanding when you're in a, a situation, a paranormal situation, is like, what is that trauma history? And how can we come to a resolution that incorporates that? What are your thoughts? When we're thinking about those particular places, mm-hmm. give us a sense of disease. Yeah. It doesn't mean that they're the only places that exist. They're just the only ones who cause a reaction. Mm -hmm. 
So when we're looking at those, if we take it to the living body, right? You experienced this major trauma, whether it's a big T trauma, which is high intensity, low frequency, or it's a small T trauma, which is high frequency, low intensity. You end up essentially going through a bell curve. Mm -hmm. If this is your window of tolerance, you're going right down the middle until something happens. And then you escalate until you cross between your sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. That's where fight or flight kicks in. Mm -hmm. The problem is to come back down to re-regulate, you have to go back through that parasympathetic to sympathetic nervous system, which is where the post-traumatic stress kicks in. Mm -hmm. So when you can co-regulate with somebody, you can pass through it. The problem is in those situations, if we're looking at it through that context in a paranormal aspect, the only people they had to co-regulate with were in that same sense of trauma and dread of death. Mm. So it amplified kind of like when you blow a circuit breaker in the house, but they didn't have anybody to reset the circuit breaker. So with that idea, when you have these places like Gettysburg, where there was a ton of, of death and trauma, and they were experienced, the soldiers that died in that, that part, they were experiencing that collectively that somehow creates a even stronger sort of echo of that trauma. One of the things that we need to keep in mind, whether we're sitting with another person or we're in a state like that, where it's whether it's Gettysburg or like I was in Bestone or Bestone in Ireland a couple of weeks ago, supposedly the most haunted trail in Ireland. Cool. And it has no impact on me that I don't allow it to have. Okay. Yeah. I'm sitting with somebody in an active trauma reaction. That's not my trauma reaction. I can stay calm and centered and regulate the two of us over time. I walk into a place like that hiking trail. It only has the power I allow it to have. Mm -hmm. So if I stay calm and centered, non-judgmental and non-anxious, my nervous system is relaxed and I just have a pleasant walk. Right. And also you are helping to, in some ways, co-regulate any traumatic energies that are in that place. Because with J. Allen Cross's book, A Witch's Guide to the Paranormal, which talks about how to approach paranormal situations, that's one of the things that he cautions before going into any situation where there's paranormal activity you need to be in that same space of calm and contained collected ability to hold space and regulate because if you go in with your own traumas and emotionality that's going to of course increase and potentially even make the situation worse and so yeah I, yeah let me ask you about your experiences with the paranormal within that perspective and how trauma might be associated with it yeah there's a lot so for the four years that I was a hospital chaplain, I spent the majority of my time in the trauma bays of the emergency room or in the ICU or with the active codes and deaths on the various floors. That got me real comfortable with death. In May of 2021, I had a series of strokes that culminated in a brain surgery 
and removal of my cerebellum. The neurosurgeon was adamant that I was going to die on the table. I thought my friend and chaplain educator had come up to pray mm -hmm. at bedside with me. He didn't. I was able to tell him what position he was in, what he said, the direction he was facing. He was two floors away on the opposite end of the hospital when I was in surgery. So you were having an out-of-body experience at that point. Oh. That opened up a lot of engagement with that for me. Mm -hmm. So now when I end up in situations where they're paranormal, mm -hmm. I don't look at them as paranormal. Mm -hmm. Just like I don't look at a client by their diagnoses. I look at them as a person with a diagnosis. I look at a paranormal situation as a spirit with something that they're dealing with. So when I walk into it, I stay calm and regulated and I talk to them like a friend. And most of the time they leave me alone. They either mellow out or don't engage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I guess that being able to hold space for both the living and the dead and Having had a lot of experience with that transition, it gives you sort of this unique reservoir of strength for which you can hold space for, you know, the folks that are experiencing trauma, both living and dead. And yeah, one of the things that Jay Allen was saying about as far as like his experiences with different sort of paranormal activity. There's, of course, when someone dies in a very traumatic way that creates ghosts. And then, of course, there are non-living non but non-human entities like land spirits that tend to be riled up in some ways when there's disturbance. But then the other hauntings are caused by what he referred to as fracturing. And fracturing happens when someone is in an extreme state of distress and they leave the psychic imprint of their trauma in an area and that has echoes. Have you experienced that? And what are your thoughts in regards to that? Um, pretty much on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. I am out in the woods somewhere. Mm -hmm. I don't start looking for trailheads until I lose cell service. So. I interact with a fair amount of land spirits mm -hmm. and I talk to them the same way I talk to ravens and crows and chipmunks and various other animals. I talk to them and much like the ravens and crows who will sometimes squawk at me, they go about their business. The people are really just two sides of the veil because we can't create or destroy energy. We can right. just transform it. So when I treat them like people, most of the time they mellow out. With the heavy fractures, those are the ones that feel the most like emotions. Mm. Most of the time I've come across those, I sit in it. So like if we were patrolling and it was in a safe location where we needed to do an observation point anyway, I would sit down in the middle of it and I would feel the feeling and I would process it for the space. In the hospital, I would draw it to me so it didn't become heavy in the space. And then I would go out to the stand of trees behind the emergency room and I would exchange energy. We all have our different ways of processing feelings and energies, our own ways of healing. And when we can figure that out, we can start to carry that out into the world. Yeah. And then by integrating it and acknowledging it, it helps 
to resolve it as well, no matter what sort of reason there is for that paranormal activity or even just trauma echoes. It helps to resolve it and integrate it. And that's the way that we're able to find resolution both within ourselves as well as in the external energies that are surrounding and impacting us. And yeah, that's yeah something that I'm finding in ways science is informing the sort of spiritual imperative we have as humans living in this moment. And we have integration of these ideas like epigenetics, where trauma literally changes your DNA. And that's something we know from both First Nations people and Holocaust survivors is that if there isn't an integration into the horrible traumas that happen to us, then it can create these generational patterns and cycles. Now, of course, veterans are very susceptible to this, as well as susceptible to that haunting of the trauma they both experienced or maybe perpetuated. And yeah, so if... Part of that's also mm-hmm. because of where we're recruited from. Right. Mm-hmm. When you look at where most of the recruiting money is spent, it is underdeveloped, undereducated areas where there are no options out right. for the most part. They're already heavily traumatized, so they're easy to get to come in with this sort of understanding and informed way through both witchcraft and counseling, do you feel that this is a way that we can heal both ourselves and the even like finding that paranormal resolution and breaking these generational patterns? Yes, and. Mm -hmm. So anytime we want to work with others, we have to work with ourselves first. Mm Mm-hmm. If we can't heal ourselves and we can't love ourselves, anything we do for others has a shelf life. They're two sides to the same coin. Along with that, and this is one of the theories that I am developing in my doctoral work, Mm. is we all look at trauma in mathematical rays. You have big T or little t, that's a line. Mm -hmm. You have societal, which is a line. You have epigenetic generational which is a line but nobody looks at the footprint where the three are combined so we'll say my great-grandparents in post-world war ii may have had a trauma footprint the size of a quarter they didn't think they needed to deal with it they went about their lives they passed it on to my grandparents well no yeah great-grandparents to grandparents they didn't do anything with it because it was that generation and they thought they could party it away And then that got passed to my parents, who still didn't have anything to shift or change or work with it. So then it got passed to me. That same trauma that was a quarter size for my great-grandparents might be a sewer cover for me, an impact and footprint. So when we're looking at those, we have to be able to do our own work to be able to reverse the effects over time. A lot of the witchcraft practices that we especially in sort of more modern witchcraft practice that has become a lot more trauma-informed, it 
gives us a lot of those tools like doing shadow work people always talk about doing shadow work but if that is counseling is a lot of shadow work right exactly that is exactly what shadow work is is it's counseling it's journaling it's being reflective and facing your inner demons and making peace with them and also with the ancestral healing the therapist that the book that i referenced a lot in our Sawan episode last year about epigenetic healing and trauma he talks about a method of essentially ancestor worship where you take a picture of your grandparents and I've done this now and it, I found it to be very powerful. And you just talk to them like you would talk to if they were alive and just say, you know what, grandma, I don't have to carry this anymore. I don't have to carry this pain. I don't have to carry this ideas of I have to look a certain way in order to be valuable as, as a woman because I live in a different time and I have this trauma-informed background that allows me to be able to integrate this and not carry it with me in these generational cycles. And much like in addiction treatment, it's easier to replace something than it is to eliminate something. Right. So when we come with that picture or the name on a scrap of paper, which is the one I use the most, I put down what I don't need to carry. And then I express gratitude for what they did do to allow me to be here. Right. Mm -hmm. And how I want to carry that forward. So I acknowledge what's still honorable without taking with what isn't. Powerful. Yeah. And I started doing that a lot when I was working in the NICU as a chaplain mm-hmm. and I would be present for the deaths and of small children and I would write the child's name on the slip of paper I would thank them for letting me be a part of their short journey and how I wanted to honor them moving forward and then I would burn it in my cauldron wow that's really transformative and wow what a that's that's so I couldn't imagine being around children dying. I mean, it's it's such a like painful thing right now with the whole um, Gaza and um, situation because you know the news media is is in in part, and I think this is something important that we all need to see is that there are children that are being killed, and it's it's so heart-wrenching and sometimes it's just like I just get so exhausted and I have friends in Israel that I'm really worried about because you know in a lot of ways that the way that we've all become a lot more connected and in some ways it has fostered more empathy but in other ways it's just created this constant cycle of just stimulation where we're always being just bombarded with crisis after crisis and like trying to balance that with like this idea and yeah I mean that's that's something I think right now all of us could use is is being grateful that if we are witnessing and holding space for that and then also like releasing what isn't ours to carry with us. In counseling, specifically trauma counseling, we tend to refer to that cycle that the news presents as trauma porn. Mm-hmm. Where as a culture, we're constantly looking for the next trauma. And 
the more gruesome, the better. And it really emphasizes the necessity for kindness. Yeah. Because when we're kind, we're not worried about us versus them. Mm. It's a human to human relationship. Right. And I think that is part of what is forgotten with things like Israel, Palestine, or Kosovo in the 90s. Um, Iraq, Afghanistan, multitude of other places that haven't been unclassified yet to be able to release. Yeah. Is there's a level of kindness that has been forgotten. And that kindness doesn't mean we're being nice, but we're remembering that the other person's human mm-hmm. and we're entering into that covenant of relationship. Yeah, one of the things I found in my astrology practice, now not everyone believes in astrology, not everyone ascribes to it, but one of the things that I personally find very affirming about it is that your birth chart is that representation of where the stars were at the sky at the moment of your human existence. And everyone has a birth chart, like everyone. I mean, we might not all know the exact time we were born, but that particular... a specific constellation tattooed on my arm. Yeah. And it is the healer. Oh, Chiron. It is the small window of 10 days in the middle of Sagittarius that mm. isn't actually under Sagittarius. Oh, right. What is that one called again? I have never been able to pronounce the name correctly, but it is the Greek healer, and Mm -hmm. it's the healer wrestling the snake. Can you talk a little bit more about that? So I ended up coming across it while I was in seminary again, go figure. Um, And we had to do a analysis of a mystical tradition like astrology. And that was the one that was put out there. So I figured, cool, let me break the class again. So I looked at the traditional 12 zodiacs. I looked at the Chinese zodiacs. I looked at some other variants, the tree calendars from the British Isles. And I kept finding this little blip And older traditions talked about a 13th constellation based on where the sun passed over the earth. So there's two different types. One was meridian and one was not. And as I dug a little deeper, and it took me about a full semester with access to a graduate level library Mm -hmm. to find this very obscure reference that talked about this little window in Sagittarius that actually fell under a different star sign. Hmm. So that made sense. And that was the one that I was born under. (sighs) And it very much fit with what I was doing as both a chaplain and a counselor 
So I decided to get it tattooed. Well, that's very fitting. That's super. Yeah. Um, I, uh, my girlfriend's actually, her birthday is also in that time period. And that was one of her criticisms of astrology. And I feel like you kind of have added this whole new dimension to that, that, um, that there is this period right before the, you know, the, the solstice that, you know, it actually lines up with the last day being on solstice. Yeah. If I remember the window correctly. And that particular time period, I, I, I want to say it starts with an O, but I don't want to say it because I'll butcher it. But yeah, that that is really interesting that this sort of weird fluke of astrology that you found real like your purpose and sort of expresses who you are and in your path. And so as above, so below, that's one of the beautiful things that I feel astrology teaches us is that we're all here having this human experience and we're connected and we're all made of stardust and this is one of the ways that we can articulate it viscous okay that is the name of the constellation one more time a fiscus oh fiscus okay yes because it's almost like h-i-u-c-h-u-s right it's like almost like obfuscate yes <laughs> So it's kind of like the hidden healer, which I think even is like even more like esoteric and deep. So and that's what we all embody. Mm. When we're engaging in our practice, we're either the hidden healer for ourselves or for others. Yeah. Because even if we're only healing ourselves, that's going to ripple out to the people around us and the people around them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel that like the more we work on our own trauma and work on healing it, the more it heals everyone around us and all of our relationships. Because, you know, just like when we heal our ancestral line, it changes our DNA. When we heal ourselves, it changes the relationships we have around us. Like when you can have that awareness that the more work I do to find a way to emotionally regulate, to hold myself in a state of collective calm and, you know, with yoga, that is one of the gifts of yoga is, is returning to your breath, returning to that. And, and again, witchcraft, which is also very integrated now with my yoga practice is having that, ability to find calm and center and grounding through the breath and then when that is a practice that I can take to healing myself when I'm starting to feel dysregulated and then when I can approach any situation where someone else is dysregulated with that calm it heals them in a way hold on one second my cat is like crying to get out <laughs> one second yeah. all right kismet she likes to be in my lap for like a little bit of the interview but then when it gets long she's like all right i'm out of here <laughs> i get that i have two cats that want to come check on me but don't want to stay 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. She's always curious about what I'm doing. And she, whenever I'm doing any kind of working or, you know, magical um, intention, she's she's here. The dog is still here. The dog will be here the whole time because <laughs> he's he's my familiar, truly. But um, my three dogs don't go anywhere where they can't have a direct line of sight to their food bowls. Oh, <laughs> uh, mine is um, he he is a uh, very attached to me, and my my spouse always tells me when I leave, he like sits and watches the door and waits for me, which is really like kind of makes me feel extremely guilty whenever I leave because my dog like mourns me <laughs> and that gets into object permanence and it's a whole thing right yeah my, my dog does not have object permanence he's he's very much like he has a lot of um attachment wounds I think that translates to him being very very anxiously attached to me so it sounds like my shepherd yeah yeah he is a shepherd he's a doberman german shepherd uh greyhound mix and so <laughs> and he has eyebrows right yeah he's he's just a very anxious dog by nature and then he has like the brindle markings so he always looks like concerned with his eyebrows um yeah yeah but you know he's he's my child so <laughs> I um I try to bring him everywhere I can. So if you ever come to a witch walk or anything, he'll he'll be there most likely. So And you'll be like, "Where did my dog go?" <laughs> I tend to be that person that even the dogs that don't like people come and walk by my side. Right. Yeah, cuz dogs feel that. Dogs can feel like when you have that that inner part of yourself healed, like they know that. They see that cuz they're just so much more in tune with that than point where I'm not allowed to go to certain shelters oh. because like if I go to the cat room all of the cats come to me oh. if I go to the dogs they all come to the door and wait for me and they will ignore everybody else right yeah and then you'll want to take all of them home and then it's like nope <laughs> well, I got my oldest, my oldest pit bull. Yeah. Because I went to go pet on animals, and she walked up and was listed as does not do well with everything, starting with men all the way down the list. She squeezes her nose through the chain link and licks my hand. Oh. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would not be able to be around animals that I you know like I don't even tempt myself like that because my cat Kismet she's a great cat I love her very much but she hates her own kind and so I cannot have any other cats <laughs> she is the only cat in my life and so dog gates to separate our two cats oh wow yeah yeah cats cats are can just be really vicious to each other and it's just you know, I, I'm happy with my one cat, and she only loves the dog. The dog is the only animal that she allows in her space besides humans, because humans pet her and feed her. And With the second cat, uh -huh. my youngest went off to college this year. Mm -hmm. So we're taking care of her cat while she's in a dorm. And it's an interesting adjustment. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
Yeah, because yeah, sometimes cats just kind of will not ever get along with each other. So. No, but they all want my lap all the time. Oh yeah, yeah. She was in my lap while we were doing our interview. Um, well, she um, just kind of like bringing this back to wrap up. Um, if folks wanted to like follow your work or you know get to le learn more about the organization that you're you're part of, where can they get more information? Like, where can they contact? So the primary website would be sacredwell.org. And they could find face the Facebook account. I know we have a couple other social media accounts, but our director of uh, public affairs handles those. So on Facebook, it's Sacred Well Congregation or Sacred Well Interactive. Or they could email me directly at snelson at sacredwell.org. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you again for coming on the podcast and talking to us about all these really fascinating topics. And um, yeah, I just, I really appreciate your work and I appreciate your perspective. And I hope that whoever's listening out there, maybe they're able to find some peace and healing through your words. So thank you again. Have a good night. Thank you so much to Shane for coming on the podcast to talk about mental health, trauma, and being our guest for this year's Veterans Day episode. It's become an annual tradition for us to honor our veterans, and seeing as we are still in the tail end of Samhain and deep in the thick of Scorpio season, it's a good time for us to be reminded to do our shadow work and be mindful of the ways that when we heal ourselves, we heal our community and our lineage. Absolutely. And in the meantime, if you want to support our podcast, please consider becoming a Patreon supporter, which is the main way we are financially supporting this project. Our Discord server is one of the ways we connect with our listener base, and we have several channels for each of the different tiers of support, as well as a general chat for everyone. It's been a really fun way to share other podcasts, chat about different topics our listeners want to cover as well as just to get to know the folks out there that listen to what we have to say. Yeah, and I just attended a convention in Portland, Oregon, Dyerbrook, a dark fantasy convention, and I have posted my Google Sheets presentations from both panels on the science of tarot and astrology and data analytics for free on Patreon for anyone to access. And then I posted the recording of the astrology and data analytics talk for Patreon supporters that you can access for only $1 a month. At this level, you get access to extra bonus content as well as our early release episodes one day before they are put on the main RSS feed. And once we start featuring ads on the podcast, this will be the way that you can have an ad-free experience. So if you don't like hearing ads, please consider supporting us at this most basic level. 
At our $5 a month level, you'll get roughly one sticker a month mailed to you by Angel. This month, we're featuring art by an upcoming guest on the podcast, Jesse, that will be mushroom-related, and we talk about that in the upcoming episode. If you want to complete your collection and missed some of the stickers from previous months or don't want to have a monthly subscription, you can purchase stickers a la carte from our Etsy page. We also now have tapestries featuring Freya and soon to feature some of the other deities in our sticker exchange, so be sure to check that out if you like a sticker bag but want it bigger. Finally, at our $10 a month level, you'll get access to our science witch coven and my tarot and astrology practice where I will read your tarot over Zoom and can give you some insight into your birth chart. I'm working on getting with all the new science witch coven members, which we've had quite a few new ones join, so welcome. And so if you're a new subscriber at this tier, be sure to check your Patreon messages to schedule a reading with me. Also, you can check out our YouTube, where we have the video from the Trans-Telethon livestream from back in August. And you can see me and Angel sing, rap, and generally have a good time. We're also hoping to share more extended video content from our episodes, as well as have a place to post captioned videos to make our content more accessible for our followers. Finally, as a Yule is coming up, I will be sending out our official holiday cards to Patreon supporters at all levels. This year's holiday card will feature the Yule Cat, so if you are a supporter at any level before next month, you can receive a holiday card, so go ahead and check us out on Patreon. And if you want to find us on social media, we're on Instagram and Facebook as the Science Witch Podcast. And I know I'll call it X when Elon calls his daughter Vivian, but you can still find us on Twitter as at Science Witch Pod. If you want to check out the show notes and transcripts from this episode, see our website at sciencewitchpodcast.com. Finally, if you hate social media and you still want to reach out, you can email us at questions at sciencewitchpodcast.com. Until next time, live long and prosper. And blessed be.